0: to Dead Space, You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Ghana, and all other major platforms, which includes Alexa. All you have to do is tell Alexa to play Dead Headspace podcast for the latest episode every Monday and Thursday. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, and alongside me, as always, is Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: And today, for readers, you should know this gentleman. His name is... Uh, The King of Pain, a.k.a. John F.D. Taff, most recently of the Farron series. Hello. Hello, John. (laughs) Hello, Patty. How you doing? (laughs) How you doing? You're the first guest to call me that. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So, let's start off with the baseline question. What got you into horror? Uh, you know,
2: um... Uh, I come from a long, uh, line of readers. Uh, my family, uh, my dad was a, a cop growing up, uh, cop in St. Louis and worked all these weird hours and secondary jobs and shit. And, uh, my mom, uh, obviously we didn't, you know, weren't wealthy or anything. So, uh, when I was growing up in the seventies, uh, as a way to deal with her three kids at the time, uh, would take us to the library about once a week. And my brother and sister and I would sweep down into the uh, branch of the library that we went to and check out all the books on ghosts and UFOs and the Loch Ness Monster and the Abominable Snowman and Bigfoot and all that stuff. So um, that led to, a, a, you know, an enjoyment of those kinds of stories. I, you know, at the at the time when I was that young, even King wasn't that big yet. or I did not even know if, when I was really little. I don't think he'd even come on the scene yet so you know the big horror book the the big horror author you read at that time was just poe i mean so i read a lot of poe uh really liked that and uh when i came back to swinging around through you know i'd gone through reading poe and then reading science fiction uh and then reading fantasy and then back to horror um to get into people like king and straub and rice and barker and and those kind of folks um that was kind of when I also developed an interest in writing. So the two kind of just came together at the right time, I suppose.
1: Hmm.
0: What about, uh, authors like Bradbury or Richard Matheson? Yeah, I read, I read a lot of, you know,
2: that, that kind of, a uh, borderland between horror and, and science fiction and fantasy hmm. where you've got Bradbury and Matheson. And, uh, I can't think of anybody else, but, uh, I read a lot of that as I kind of segued back into, into horror, so uh, yeah, I, I have a pretty healthy like for all that kind of stuff. The all the old uh, science fiction writers, like you know, Highland and, and Vance and uh, Zelazny and Asimov and yeah, Clark and all those kind of people. But also, I have a you know, some of my favorite authors are like Stephen R. Donaldson, who was one of the fantasy authors that I uh, was really into when I was that age when I was reading fantasy still. So yeah, I, I have a uh, healthy respect for almost all the genres. I don't really get into romance, but not that I would poo poo on that, but because I'm not uh, big on taking a crap on what people like, but uh, it's not for me, but I have a pretty healthy respect for most genre writing because I think to, to, to uh, work effectively in any of the genres, you have to understand how to tell the story first and then tell it within the, the confines of that genre. So, you know, if, if you can write a good romance story, hey, you must be at, a good writer.
1: If you can yeah. do it, have at it. Why not? Right.
2: Exactly.
1: John, I think it's so interesting. Like, um, it's, it's pretty, you know, we, we hear a lot of answers to this question and it's pretty rare to hear somebody who completely and utterly starts their journey into horror, um, just in in books like you didn't mention movies at all um so a a couple questions there you're shaking your head now is that not something that really was up your alley when you were younger actually yeah my
2: uh a lot of the uh reason that i got into horror that my doorway was my mom um my mom was a great fan of the old universal monster movies uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Preacher, mm. you know, all that stuff. Um, and also of the hammer films mm. from the late sixties, mid to late sixties, yeah. you know, the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing stuff. Um, and since a lot of times they played those things late at night when my father wasn't around, my mom didn't like to watch them herself being a young, you know, my mom had me when she was 17. So, um she was still relatively young when we were little kids. um so she didn't like to watch these movies by herself, so she would inevitably keep us up to watch these things. so my uh brother and sister and I, the older of my uh, the five of us, the five kids, uh, had a pretty deep indoctrination to all that kind of stuff, not just from a reading standpoint but also from movies. now, as I got older, uh I have to say that in a lot of ways uh, the kind of horror stuff that was being shown in cinema didn't interest me. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to take a lot of flack for this, but I'm not a big fan of slasher films. I'm just not, um, again, not going to shit on it because a lot of people like it, but, Mm. uh, it's not my cup of tea. Um, so, uh, when I really got into horror, uh, it was really more reading when I, you know, now I'm talking about now when I was older and, you know had had plowed through comic books and fantasy books and science fiction and that kind of stuff when i went back into horror it was primarily reading
1: that's awesome um you know it's it's funny we um we we talked with Josh Mallerman uh, a couple months ago i mean who can tell time anymore i think it was a couple months ago but <laughs> Tuesday. he it was Tuesday. he made some comment that uh that kind of reminds me of what you're just what you're saying where he said that you know most horror books are are better than some of the best horror movies. A bad horror book I'm, I might be putting words in his mouth is better than the than the best horror movies and yeah. that's something I can definitely get on board with. Well I think
2: you know a good a good piece of horror fiction allows the reader to use their mind and and you know I'm not the first person you know putting this out there but you know anybody's mind is gonna do a better job at scaring themselves than Mm. a film, you know, where you're you're looking at one person's or a team of people's, you know, pretty what their focus is on the horror rather than your own. So uh yeah, I get that totally. I think that I don't know that I've ever been so scared as when I was, I don't know, probably seventeen reading Salem's Lot up in my bedroom, in the middle of the day to boot, and a bird struck the window. (laughs) <laughs> uh, while I was reading, and I nearly shit myself.
0: That's a bad um, omen. <laughs> you
2: know, and, you know I've, been, I've been scared. I don't want to get the, the sense that I've not been scared at horror movies because there are, there are some that have scared me. Um, an American Werewolf in London uh, leaps to mind. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that I, you know, for, and this is for me, uh, a lot of the stuff that passes for horror cinematographically, cinematograph- cinematographically, Sounds right. Yeah, you're um, smarter than us, we'll go with that. <laughs> is uh, you know, lots of bloodletting, which to me is not scary. Uh, I, it's gruesome. It, it has a, definitely has a part in horror, but I think when when the 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 the, you know, the gist of all of the scares that you're getting in a movie are basically people getting their throats cut and limbs ripped off, that's not enough for me. That's, that just <laughs> doesn't do it for me. Um, plus I have the world's weakest stomach when it comes to a horror writer. I really do. I, I literally walked out of, uh, well, I nearly fainted and remember reanimator Herbert Herbert West. Yeah. Almost fainted during that long ago and walked out of interview with the vampire within the first 15 minutes when, I don't know who bit. I don't know whose wrist. And it sounded like celery and blood spurted all over. And I went, "Yep, I got to (laughs) go. So I have a pretty weak stomach for all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think that to me, at least a a good piece of horror fiction uh, can scare you in ways that that a movie just can't.
1: That's, uh, you know, Salem's law is one of the first books I remember kind of having that very visceral effect on me too. I remember, you know, reading, I don't remember how old I would have been, but reading the part where, uh, they do this almost, I almost want to call it like a zoom in on the Marston house. Um, and you know, it, it, it kind of closes in on Hubie Marston hanging Uh by his neck and his eyes pop open. I remember losing sleep over that. Um, and you know, it, it takes a lot for a book to cause me to lose sleep, but man, that pulled it off.
2: <laughs> well, even the, even that crappy uh, 19 what was it 80s uh, mini series that they did of of Salem's Lot, the uh, the scene where the the Glick boys floating outside the window, you know, that scared me in writing, but that also that kind of creeped me out uh, in the TV series too, even though it was just a cheesy uh, ABC movie of the week or some damn thing.
1: Still, that scene is like legendary. So, oh, yeah. John, John, the other thing I was gonna say, you know, when when you focused mm-hmm. in on books and not necessarily movies, is that I wasn't really surprised by it. Um, you you kind of strike me as this uh, hyper literate type of author. Um. Do you I. know, we, we we hear um we hear authors um He's say his beard for all
0: audio <laughs> listeners
1: <laughs> we hear authors say that like uh you know I'm writing this and I was inspired by uh, Salem's Lot or by The Shining or by uh, Interview with the Vampire this that or the other thing oh, whereas hear a, you I've
2: got to capture a runaway pug <laughs> oh. I got a blind pug and she got
1: up from her bed say hi Sadie. Gotta get her oh, back really there. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, no worries. I was gonna say that you know we hear an interview with you and what yes, you're working on. So. I, I I was you you, you were complimenting <laughs> me.
0: Um, Hyper literate <laughs> and John was uh, again to echo my point for the audio listeners. who's stroking his his beard.
1: With Sagely. an evil gleam um, in his eyes. You got you can't forget the evil gleam. He had an um, evil gleam and he had a smug look about him. <laughs> <laughs> that's an thing. So to hear you talk about what you've got in progress and you're not you're not reading, you know, uh a, a five hundred page horror novel, you're reading the collected works of Carl Jung or something along those lines. Um, I'm kind of curious about how how does that factor into your writing, not just young, of course. We kind of know, you know, anybody who's a regular Inkheist listener uh, knows knows that story. But how does uh, kind of approaching the academic, the philosophy, uh, kind of filter into your work?
2: Well, you know, I I think that if you're a writer in any genre, you've got to read widely within the genre. I mean, that's just that's just you, you got to accept that. You know, if you're going to be a writer in horror, you've got to read widely in horror. And that doesn't just mean, uh, you know, writers from 100 years ago. It means you you got to kind of keep your hand in and see what else is going on out there. You know, you got to you've got to uh, be able to read other up and coming writers in, in the genre and see what's going on. Um, but I also think that just to be a good writer in general you need to be uh, as wide a writer as uh, as wide a reader as you can possibly be outside of the genre so that you're you're when you sit down you're not just filtering um the stuff that you've read within the genre you're you're kind of this whole amalgam uh of a person so you're you're reading outside of horror you're watching movies outside of horror you're you're maybe reading like I do. I, I tend to read a lot of nonfiction like history and stuff, um, as a way also to kind of palate cleanse so that when I go to write, I'm not, I don't have to sit there and think, wow, did I read that somewhere? Did, is that something that I read from Todd Kiesling or, you know, Brian Kirk or, you know, some damn thing. So I think being, uh, as wide a reader, uh, uh, as you possibly can be is is best for you as an author. Um, but it, like I said, it doesn't, it goes well beyond uh, reading. I think just having a wide life where you go out and do a lot of things because, you know, a writer, when he sits down to write, has got to distill all this stuff uh, and write believable characters, doing believable things and, and having unbelievable things happen to them. So to ground your characters as much as possible, you need to be, I think kind of a, I don't, you know, kind of a Renaissance person of knowing a little bit about a lot of things. So, again, you can sit down and, and make characters on paper that seem like they're real people, uh, that have interests probably in things that you don't have interest in or professions that you don't know a whole lot about or, or that kind of thing. So, um, but you know you get back to things like young and stuff i you know i'm always looking for uh ideas um you know people always ask where do you get your ideas and and you know my glib answer to that is everywhere um it it could be anything i mean it could be something i read in the newspaper or if i'm reading a, a book uh and this is what happened with carl Jung. i was reading a book about carl Jung and it just clicked uh, and I thought about an idea that I'd had for this book that had been kind of rattling around in my head, and those two, you know, just like getting your peanut butter and your chocolate, and the idea came from that.
0: So, and you get a Snickers bar.
2: There you go. <laughs> Who doesn't love a Snickers bar? <laughs> you guys are uh,
0: supposed to correct me. <laughs>
2: but, I mean, you know, it, for that reason, I think that – Being a wide reader and a wide experiencer of life, as as much as you possibly can, can only help you when you sit down to write.
0: Absolutely. This Uh, is just
2: water, by the way.
0: (laughs) Brendan, you got anything to add to that? Because I'd like to touch on a few of those points. This is not water. No, go ahead. (laughs) So um, you actually, my ears perked up with one thing in particular. I enjoyed Uh, what you just said. But in in particular, the nonfiction history – Outside of uh, horror, my next number, like I love crime, so Mm -hmm. I can't say it's my number one, too. I I don't know where I'd rank it, but it's one of my favorite genres is also nonfiction history, uh, particularly the Industrial Revolution. I like the colonial period to the Industrial Revolution period. But I like, obviously, the stuff that I learned in school, you know, Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, The raw and gritty cutthroat world of you know what it took to like the world uh, the the three day uh miniseries called uh one thing that interests me was um the food that built america the guy that uh started uh-huh. hershey milton hershey oh, and yeah and yeah guys that started heinz uh mars bars and it, it's just industrial revolutionary period for, in america that yeah. was cutthroat and I, don't think I like that kind of stuff.
2: I mean, early American history, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, ancient cultures, Egypt, uh, mm. the Mayas, the Incans, the Aztecs. Um, I like nautical history, you know, the early uh, American Navy, the late British Navy. I love the Civil War. I'm a big fan of the Civil War. Um that seems odd to say. Doesn't have a big fan of the Civil War. <laughs> well, if you um, liked
1: the last one, you'll yeah. Love if you like the
2: last one, wait. Just wait. Um, but yeah, I, I read a lot of history, and I find myself watching a lot of history on, uh, you know, Netflix or or whatnot. If they've got a good documentary on some historical thing, I'll make my wife uh, <laughs> sit down and watch those things with me. We're kind of plowing our way through the oeuvre. Of Ken Burns right now which is pretty cool
0: um yeah so as far as like nautical history I don't know if you know this but Theodore Roosevelt when he was a young 20 something year old uh wrote the naval war of 1812 and it's actually really uh, um highly recommended for that very specific war uh I don't I don't know I'm a big fan of Roosevelt myself but I uh, brought this up because I was curious do you have like do you enjoy biographies as well
2: oh yeah yeah i uh i like a good biography uh the last one that i was reading was uh the part of the three book uh uh, biography of uh churchill Um, okay and it's it's dense and there are three big volumes so it's taking me a while to plow through it as i read you know try to read other things but uh, yeah, I had a, a active in interest in, in Churchill and World War II and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, pretty much everything. I really like – I like learning things that I didn't know before, um, so historical stuff that, that I wasn't much aware of, uh, ideas. I like uh, stories about uh, – books about, like, scientific ideas that I didn't know that much about or new stuff in physics that, uh, you know – uh, I had a abiding interest in Carl Sagan and uh, Cosmos and that kind of stuff when I was growing up and still have a, a very abiding interest in astronomy. I've got a gigantic telescope downstairs uh, that I've been kept away from for years since I broke my leg last year. Oh, no. Um, but I'm getting back to it. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, again, it's just there's a lot of stuff that I like, a lot of stuff that I like to to pursue outside of horror, but you know, it always seems that over God, how long I've been doing this 30 years now, it, it almost seems like, uh, I always come back to horror. So there's always something there, uh, that is pulling me back. Uh, there's always something there that keeps me interested in writing stories that are hmm. set in the genre, even though, you know, my stuff tends to be, uh, Quiet, I guess. Quiet, more. You know. Quiet or Yeah, quieter. Yeah, some. And, yeah. You know, and that's not some people's cup of tea, and and that's I totally understand that. So, you like what you like.
0: Yeah. Um. To your point about Carl Sagan, a, a student of his is Neil. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, I right? Uh, when, um, two Christmases ago, I think it was, I for Christmas, I only asked for one book. My wife's like, no, you're not getting all the books you want. So I'm like, all right. Cause if I get asked for more than one, it's just going to be insane how many I asked for. So the one I asked for, I think it was two years ago, whenever it came out, uh, astrophysics for people in a hurry. It's very short. It's like, uh, under 200 pages. Uh huh. It just hits the bullet points of uh, the Big Bang Theory, the timeline of the universe. Um, When it breaks down the phases of how protons are first created and um, it it breaks down the actual time period, Mm -hmm. it's like within fractions of a second of the universe's birth. And after reading all that, I'm like, I've never felt this fucking dumb before. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you shouldn't. I mean, that's the whole point
2: of, of reading, really, is not it? at least that kind of reading is to to open your mind to ideas that you hadn't had before. And and, uh, you know, I, I love a book, a science book or a history book or whatever, where I'll read read something and then I close the chapter and just go, wow, I had never thought about that before. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing. That's an amazing feeling still to have it at, at 57 years old is the feeling like you're still learning something
0: the I'm not even going to paraphrase what he says in it but the things in that book alone you know it just gives a writer great ideas there's one more author I want I mean biographer I wanted to talk about um is Walter Isaacson have you read any of his books I have not
2: who is he written about
0: Yeah so um he I got most of them I've only been able to read one cuz I've been really sucked into the horror scene mm-hmm. um so in 2011, he came out with this – for me, it got – it was one of the first books that going back into reading um, Steve Jobs' uh, mm-hmm. biography. He interviewed so many people, man. He talked with Steve himself. I don't think the book – I think it came out after he passed away, right. after Jobs passed away. But it's just amazing, man. It, it's If you like biographies, Walter Isaacson's my favorite okay. uh, biographer. He, so he wrote one on Steve Jobs. Another big one was Benjamin Franklin, uh, hmm. Einstein, which uh, Jeffrey uh, Bloom did a um, – he played a older Einstein uh, for, I want to say, the History Channel. Okay. I could be wrong on that. And then uh, he did one on Leonardo da, da Vinci, which is just all, fantastic. All interesting people. Yeah, he, he's fascinated by geniuses. I am too, and he – did this one also called the innovators where it talks about the first uh computer um coder which was a woman back in the 1800s um but it's just all fascinating stuff just as a person to learn and yeah yeah i mean like you if you're a writer you can apply this stuff to whatever genre you want at least sure. horror you know so um that's enough for me sidetracking us away from your career. No, no, I, I, I gotta,
1: I gotta say real quick before we get back to actually talking about, you know, John's career uh-huh. and things he has coming out and, you know, things he stands to make money off of. Um, <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, I thought you guys touched on a couple interesting things that I wanted to uh, circle back to real quick. Um, First and foremost, I love that, you know, Pat, you said, you know, I've I've never felt so dumb as I as I do reading this book. And I loved the kind of rebuttal that John had ready. Like, that's, that's why you open a book like that. Not so that you can read it and affirm, yes, I know all this. I am truly, you know, the most intelligent (laughs) being in the universe. But so that you can learn new things. Um, and that's such a a great way to kind of just approach going forward in any aspect of life. Um, I I'm working on, uh, with my elementary school kids this week, we're doing the history of jazz, um, starting in 1920s, New Orleans. Hmm. And I had, uh, actually this happened in multiple classes, but I had you know, a kid say, well, when are we going to learn about rap? And I said, well, do you know a lot about rap? Yeah. I am said, well, why would we learn about it? You yeah. already know about it. You, <laughs> you don't know about, you know, Louis Armstrong. You don't know about Count Basie. So that's... You don't know where you know, it that's, came from. Where did exactly, rap come from? You do, I mean, exactly. There's that whole... That's a whole other conversation. Right, but right. it's just <laughs> that idea of, like, you don't, you don't go to uh, fifth grade, you know, walk into math class expecting to learn how to add two and two just so you can feel smart. Like, you go to uh, take on a whole new set of things to kind of push yourself well, as a human. I mean, you know, look at why did you
2: start to read when you were a little kid? I mean, yeah, you wanted to hear interesting stories and stuff, but you wanted to hear new things. You want to learn new things. And I think that for so many people, I think when that, that light kind of dies, that that light inside of you that wants to learn new things and to experience new things. I think it's it's really sad when when it dies inside of people like that. So you know I I, you know, Pat, I, I go into a lot of books of, you know, I like science and I like astronomy, but I'm not a physicist, and I don't understand that and did terrible in math at in high school. So I go into plenty of those books thinking, oh my god, I, I don't understand. You know, eighty percent of the stuff that's going on in here. But you know, I read it because I'm hoping that at least twenty percent will land and make me think. So Mm
0: -hmm. it it it, um definitely made me want to read more. I you didn't ask this really. This was a rhetorical question, I think, but I'm still gonna answer it because I've never thought about this. (laughs) I've asked it in tweets and stuff, but I never thought about myself. Why'd you start reading? Um beyond the obvious of like you go to school and you learn. My parents brought me to the library. Which I was very excited for, like the summer um, reading list and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think I've never actually articulated it before. Um, I guess I still do, but I was diagnosed with ADD when I was younger, and I was super hyper. Like my childhood best yeah. friend, his parents were from Vietnam and different culture. Mm-hmm. They didn't not like me, but like they would always comment on how hyper I am. Thinking back now, like if being a parent, if Think back now. If if I had a parent that constantly said that to my like five year old, I would probably tell him to go shut the fuck up (laughs) and don't talk about my kid like that in front of him. Um, but reading books uh kind of preoccupied the uh, gerbils in my brain from calming down. I it focused me on something that made me smarter. Yeah, and in high school. You know what? And I've said this on the show, but high school made me feel like I wasn't smart with books because I didn't get why we needed to read uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's the one book where I'm like, fuck this. (laughs) And I'm (laughs) out. Yeah, I get that. I mean, you know, I was an English major, but still, there was
2: plenty of shit that they made you read Mm. in high school and even in college that you're like, ugh, uh, (laughs) just give me the Cliff Notes. I can't buy, you know, some of that some of these 19th century Russian novels and 19th century British works.
0: That sounds boring. (laughs) They were. (laughs) Brendan, you had a, I think you had at least one other point.
1: Yeah. The other thing that, uh, and this is going a little ways back that I I love that you guys Mm -hmm. talked about was your interest in not just history, but kind of the, the gritty stuff, the stuff that you gloss over in, you know, public school, um, Mm and i th- i think what's so interesting about that is using it kind of as inspiration for fiction it, it kind of reminds me of um writing different kinds of mythologies mm-hmm. and um uh creatures into your your own work if you're especially pertaining to horror you know everybody knows bigfoot and whatnot but right. if you take a creature from you know uh poland a creature from the ukraine a creature from australia that people generally aren't familiar with you don't even need to necessarily dress it up you can just kind of tell it straightforward and because it's new to people it'll be interesting in that same vein you know if you use aspects of storytelling that delve Mm -hmm. into the part of history that most people don't really know um again it just it creates something brand new and then for the people who do know it it's kind of like wow you know this this Taft guy uh he's 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 read up he knows his stuff um i i just i kind of like that idea of taking something that just is not i don't know if mainstream is the right Right. way to put it but in in the you know public eye and bringing it to light not necessarily passing it off as your own but in a way making it your own yeah
2: yeah, yep. you know, widening peoples. I think that that uh, as an author, uh, just in the same way that as a reader, I was uh, you know had my perspective you know widened by reading a wide range of stuff. I you know I, I do hope to to offer readers who read my stuff a you know somewhat of a widened perspective of things. So uh, um, so yeah, I get what you're saying.
1: So you gave us kind of the uh very beginning of, you know, the literature that led you to want to become a storyteller. So where's that trajectory go from there?
2: Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that in the early, uh, stages of my writing career, um, like probably most writers, I don't, I don't think I'm any different than anybody. Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time finding your voice. So, uh, you cast this wide net of, of who you read and the things that you like and you see how those authors manipulate voice and tone and that sort of thing and so I think a lot of times in the early part of my career I was cut sort of casting about for you know, what is all this stuff that is coming through me that perhaps is not my voice but it is more indicative of the stuff that I've been exposed to and then what is my final voice so i would hope at at 57 i that i've kind of found who i am as a writer uh and that i've reached a point in my career where people can uh pick up a story that i've written and maybe even know it was me that had written it if my name isn't attached to it um So I'm pretty comfortable with where I am in terms of a writer, and in terms of how I develop my voice. Um, And, uh, you know, I guess (laughs) like uh, like a lot of writers where I am, you know, my hope is that uh, instead of altering who I am as a writer at this point, that I'll just be able to somehow get a wider audience. So get more people you know, that I can expose that voice to. So
1: seems like you're I, uh, on the right track for that. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I would uh, make the, make the pitch that if people call you the king of pain, then you have successfully <laughs> established your, uh, your voice. Then, <laughs>
2: you know, when, uh, Tony Rivera, who's the publisher at Gray matter, when he first came up with that, I was like, uh, oh, really come on. Um, But then it seemed to catch up there and it was sort of like, okay, well, you know, I have enough of a marketing background to understand how something like that can be can be helpful. And, you know, I have kind of learned to live with it at this point. It's it's something that helps set me apart from from, uh, you know, other writers out there. So it's it's okay, And, you know, it's a name that that I that I think fits with the kind of stuff that I write. So. Not necessarily from a a king standpoint, but the pain, the pain part of that name, uh, (laughs) I I take with a great deal of pride because I think it does uh, inform a reader about exactly what they're going to get from most of my stuff. So.
0: I'd like to touch on uh, Tony and how you got involved with Green Matter, because uh, <laughs> correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the first press that you went with. Uh, that
2: was the first. Well, no, it wasn't the first. Um, okay. The water. He's
0: drinking alcohol. That's no, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> joking.
2: Oh, I usually have a gin and tonic about this size, but I thought I I would behave myself. Um. Uh. Yeah, the first publisher that I hooked up with. <coughs> excuse me outside uh right outside great, great real, matter was really uh, unprofessional yeah i know um, <laughs> books of the dead press out of canada and they're not around anymore
0: all right I was gonna at say one it, point
2: at one point in the early uh the uh, late 2000 you know eight nine somewhere around there they were a pretty big indie press mm-hmm. um they published a lot of uh you know, they had published uh, Bracken McLeod's first novel, Mountain Home, uh, Justin Robinson, uh, you know, a bunch of different people, Mark Matthews. Hmm. Um, so uh, they bought the original uh, version of Little Deaths, which was my first collection. And then they bought uh, my first novel, which was The Bell Witch. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was based on something historical. Um, And and I did really well with them. They they published a couple of different books for me and uh, did really well. But then, you know, sort of what has become sort of the the lifespan of most of these indie press places. They you know, they they grow really fast. They publish a bunch of stuff. And then for one reason or another, they kind of. um, So uh, I was able to to get. Uh, the rights to the books that he had uh, published. Uh, his name is Roy, Roy J- James Roy Daly, with uh books of books of the dead, and I was able to get the rights back to the books. And in the meantime, I developed a relationship with Tony because he had uh done some open calls for short stories for his first three collections, which were Dark Visions one and two and Splatter. Splatterland, Splatterlands, I think, was the other one. Um, so I had submitted two stories to him and he ended up buying them both. Um, and you know, just got to talking and got to working with him more and everything. And I had gone down to, uh, the HWA convention, uh, in New Orleans that year, which I think was 2012 or 2013. And, uh, made a bunch of uh, uh, contacts down there and started to put together what became uh, my novella collection, The End and All Beginnings. Hmm. Um, and before I had the opportunity to uh, kind of submit that, uh, Tony kind of preempted everything and just bought it. Hmm. S- sight unseen, too. So, <laughs>
0: wow. Well
2: um but we were able to do really well with that uh got nominated for a stoker that year and uh yeah so i, I uh, you know my relationship with tony has grown to be uh you know as much a friend as a publisher he's someone i trust implicitly and he's got a good eye for shit um uh not only in his selection process but graphically and visually uh mm-hmm. he's got a marketing background so he understands that he is one of the best if not the best uh small press editors that i have worked with mm-hmm. um, somebody that you can pretty much guarantee is going to kick your ass um uh during the editing process which you really need um so yeah i've had a i've had a uh you know what is it six seven year relationship now with tony Hmm. eight year relationship with Tony something like that and uh yeah it's uh, you know i got some plans for stuff in the future i think that uh uh next spring or next summer we're going to uh, we're looking at putting out a uh an omnibus version of the fearing one big doorstop version nice and uh so tony's going to be handling the the paperback and the digital version and paul at Thunderstorm Books is putting out a hardcover, a limited edition hardcover. Um, so I'm I'm very excited about that because you know it was cool the idea that that Tony had for splitting the books up into four. But as with any author, you want to see you want to see that big old doorstop of a book. Mm. Um, and as well as we did with the fearing, and, and we did re- really well with it. I did really well with it. Um, I want to see that big you know, I want to see that thing in one big volume. So, uh, so yeah, Tony's a great guy. Uh, very private. Um, doesn't like to go to cons or anything like that. I'm always constantly trying to get him to go. Um, hopefully if, uh, the HWA, of Stoker con uh, comes off next year in May in Denver, uh, I think I've talked him into going to that. So, uh, if you're looking for the elusive Tony, you might have to wait till Denver.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook. He isn't uh, all, I only see him really talking about
1: politics in the Yes,
2: comments. <laughs> It's two frayed <laughs> subjects,
1: so the uh the whole thing with the fearing omnibus, that's that's gotta be a great feeling because I mean to see those those four come out serially, you know, that it was Un, I, I don't know. Unprecedented comes to mind. I don't know if that's the right the, the right word I'm searching for, but it was a very interesting way to release it. And I certainly won't ask you to go into detail because you're probably sick and fucking tired of talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, re- it's, you know,
2: <laughs> it's not it's not the first time that that idea has ever been uh, yep. done, but it was certainly it had certainly been a long time um, since anybody in the horror field had done that. Um, Probably the Green Mile. The Green Mile is the one I always mm. think about. Um, Those were
0: tiny books, man.
2: Yeah, they were pretty. They were they were smaller even than the Fearing books. But, yeah. um, you know, when I first trotted the Fearing out, you know, I, I wanted to, again, uh, take a swing at the bigger publishers. But, you know, when you drop a, you know, 550 page, <laughs> 150,000 word tome. On, uh, agents and publishers. They're like, you, you know, to a person they basically came back and said, you're not a big enough name to pull off a book of this size. And, uh, you know, that kind of freaked me out. And, uh, you know, cause they were saying, well, you know, if you cut it by a third, we could probably get this published for you. And I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can do that. So I went back to the two people who had read the book early on, which were, uh, Ray Garten and, uh, Josh Mailerman, and, you know, basically they both said, don't, don't do it, you know, don't cut it, uh, put the book out with someone who will put the book out the way that you want to see it released. And though I never thought of seeing it broken up into four parts, I also didn't have to cut anything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we basically just looked at, uh, how the four parts would break and I rearranged things a little bit. Um, but that was about it. So, you know, uh, I was really happy with the way Tony did with it. Um it's, It was cool to see, you know, like when he first showed me the cover that's split up into four, you know, the four individual covers. I I just thought that was fucking brilliant.
0: It's and it an was nor- it should be great a great too. Um, you should seriously sell it as a poster, man. I think it I think it would sell well. I I think it would too. That's probably
2: not a bad idea for him to look at, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, he, he did
2: a good job with it. But I'm 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 really looking
0: forward to seeing that big book. I want that uh, on my bookshelf next year, man. Well, yeah,
1: I, I, I am also looking forward to that. And, and you know, like I was like I said, it's it's gotta be very validating that the reason it exists is because the story is so widely well regarded. You know, um, if if it's a flop, Grey Matter is not going to put out that omnibus. No, but of course, no. each one did very, very well. And, you know, I, I very fondly. Well, I don't know if fondly is the right word, but, you know, I remember waiting for each installment uh, eagerly is definitely, I you know, that,
2: uh, you know, as Tony has said, you know, if we had put the book out as one big volume right at the beginning, you'd have had maybe a month or two of publicity and then you're back you know you're back down nobody's talking about the book anymore you're just you know but the way that he structured this release of each of the four volumes every six weeks it kept publicity going for that book all year and into into the beginning of this year so i think from that standpoint it was brilliant and probably garnered me more uh readers than it might have it was just you know, originally released as a, as a one big book.
1: No, Um, no question. Um, I, I, if I get that as, you know, a, a gigantic book, you know, I'm writing a 600 word review. Whereas I ended up writing about that, that damn book, uh, four, five, six times. I ended up writing about each volume. (laughs) I I ended up writing about the complete thing. I ended up writing about fire and brimstone. You know, I'm spreading that shit over six months. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it paid off in that regard.
2: Yeah. And it's it's been helpful, too, because I wouldn't have met Matt Corley with uh, Saturday morning scenarios who, you know, when I was done with the fearing, I was done with fearing. I mean, I kind of I hadn't even really thought of, of doing anything else. And Matt was like, "Uh, you know, what, what, how would you feel about doing an RPG, a role-playing game out of it? And I'm like, tell me more. Um, and that became a, well, if we're going to do that, then maybe I do need to write another novella. What will I write about? And then, you know, once you open the gate like that, your mind just says, okay, well, how about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? So, uh, and then what Matt has gotten in store uh, for the role playing game is pretty cool, so I'm excited to see where
0: that's going to go. He was a uh, absolute blast, but I think to be fair, when his daughter and him came on, his daughter is just amazing. Harper, she's great, man.
2: Yeah, when I when I found out that uh, they both filled in, uh, I was I didn't feel quite as bad as I did before.
0: It's not. No way. It was really cool though because I never thought that we'd be able to talk with Harper because I I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's every parent feels different about their kids and right oh, right you know and and I'm not judging anyone. Some parents don't show pictures online Absolutely. and I get it. Right. I tried doing that but I'm like he's just so cute. So. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Matt was just like yeah I mean like we're good. She you know she talks a lot so.
2: That was yeah, great. he's he's uh I feel uh, blessed to have met Matt. I think he's a he's a cool guy from mm. St. Louis, even though I don't live in St. Louis anymore. Yeah. Um, he just actually we met. He drove an hour, I drove an hour, we met to to sign uh copies of Blood and Brimstone, which is mm. kind of cool out in the you know the pavilion of a park when it's 50 degrees outside and. You know, you can't go to, you know, uh, Illinois is on lockdown, so we can't, you know, you can't go into any restaurants or anything and sit down. So there you know, we were sitting in a park. Uh, it was very cold.
0: <laughs> it's a of situation where it may not seem all that exciting at first and in that right. moment. But think about it years from now. We're writers. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on a podcast where it's in the middle of something that hasn't happened since the early century before this people are gonna find that story of you and matt meeting up a lot more interesting than you and him probably (laughs) probably so but
2: it's it's cool i think what he's doing he does it really well i mean that book that he produced is beautiful um he's good at what he does man yeah he's very good at what he does
0: he's got a good eye and his personality is just he you want to be his friend because he's such a nice guy yeah
2: I mean, the, the nice thing about my uh, career up to this point is that I have dealt with uh, mostly great people. I mean, mm. I, I can count the bad people I've met uh, in the horror industry on uh, not even one complete hand. Mm. I mean, most everybody I've I've uh, met, bumped into, talked to have been great people. The, the publishers that I've worked with to bring my stuff to market have all been great. I've never mm-hmm. really had any you know, horrible problems. Um, so, yeah, it makes it uh, makes it a lot easier to sit down and write stuff when you think that uh, you've got a way to get it to market and you don't have to worry about the people that are uh, helping to get your stuff to market.
0: I agree. And there's a picture I saw recently. Well, it was an older picture, but Vicastro, I think it was on her Instagram, where yeah. Yeah, she just calls you Big Teddy Bear, one of the nicest guys that needs... <laughs> she's her... so tiny! Yeah, she is, but, man, she's got a uh, fiery Latinx oh, personality. Oh yes.
2: Yeah, I met her uh, last year at uh, Grand Rapids in uh, at the HWA StokerCon thing at Grand Rapids. My wife and I drove up, and uh, I did a reading from uh, book one of The Fearing. I actually just read the first chapter of book one. Oh. And... Uh, you know, we had some people there. I think Michael Hicks was there and, uh, uh, V was, and, uh, yeah, it was nice. And, and, uh, you know, it's nice. I mean, you, you think of, uh, of being a writer as a sort of, you know, very isolated, uh, kind of profession. You sit in your little room and you write your shit. And, uh, so the HWA stuff is nice to get out, uh, and meet people and talk to people and, you know, get a sense of of community. So I I hope that the Soaker Con thing in Denver does go forward next year because I would really like to go.
1: Mm. Yeah, man. Me too. I I am definitely down for wrapping up this pandemic if we could make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. You know, I I'm just realizing that I mean Patrick, you probably have this written down right in front of you. What what number episode is this? Uh,
0: this is our 54th recorded episode.
1: Fifty four episodes and we didn't start recording this podcast until coronavirus hit and we have recorded fifty four episodes. That's it's obnoxious, if I'm honest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think things like this have helped keep that sense of community alive since people aren't able to go to these events anymore. I mean, to be able to to get online and talk with you guys, to talk to Shane and Rich and and the rest of their crazy crew. Laurel, and, um, you know, I, I think that's great. I think it, it, these type of podcasts and the reviewing community in the horror community are fantastic. They're stellar, and I think that uh, they're, they're much more of a strong part of the community than other genres that I'm aware of. Um, so, you know, what you guys do. Uh, what the other people in the review community do, and uh, it's just so important to keeping this stuff alive and in front of people.
0: That's certainly validating coming from you, man. Appreciate <laughs> well, that. It really is.
2: I mean, you know, uh, it's it's hard enough to market these books in the small press and the indie press, um, and in, to some extent even with the larger press, because a lot of times they don't give you a huge, you know, budget or a, a staff to push your to push your books out. On the public so to have a community like this that is eager to to read that uh is eager to to discover new voices and and has a mechanism for sharing that with readers that's invaluable it really is
0: that's interesting that you say that um this might sound super random it does relate to what uh you just said but my that kid that i talked about the uh Uh Vietnamese American he actually um He's a I don't know if he still is, I haven't talked to him for years, but he was a very good figure skater and he eventually wow. skated with Disney on ice, uh, met something blue, I don't know his last I think that's his last name. The kid that was on high school musical. I never watched it, so Thank I don't you. know. He is also an actor. Um I don't I gotta be honest, I don't know what the hell he's been in. But I know he's been in bigger things um than the indie YouTube videos uh-huh. I shot. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me that the the more the, – the the bigger the budget, the more well-known the company, the less people know what the fuck they're doing. And, and basically it sounds like the less – which I've heard from from Rob Zombie in a behind-the-scenes of um mm-hmm. Devil's Rejects, that the more budget you're given, the less creativity seems to be put into it. And what I'm seeing my entire time with the indie horror scene is – kind of piggybacking on your point that it's just fun it's i mean like you're not going to like everyone you're going to really dislike some no, people but that that's uh, everywhere for the most part yeah i Everyone's mean Everyone's pretty life. awesome that's just yeah. life but i yeah. haven't met too many people
2: uh in the horror field that i think wow i wouldn't turn my back on that person <laughs> There are a few, but very few. I mean, really few. And I, like I said, I've been doing this for 30 years. So I think I probably run into most of the uh, the creeps that there were to, to run into in this field. You know, it's funny and it, because I think and this is a trite observation, too. But, you know, uh, people think of horror writers. They think, oh, they must be creepy or weird <laughs> or mean or, you know, sadistic. But, you know, for the most part uh the people that i've met in the horror community are nice down to earth would give you the shirt off their back uh very empathetic Hmm. um and i think you know when you think about it you kind of have to be all these things to either write or enjoy this kind of stuff because you know like with my in my own work i've always said that uh I think emotion is, is such a uh, place, such a pivotal role in horror, because if you as the writer or the filmmaker or whatever, um, if you can't get the audience to like your characters and feel empathy for your characters, then nothing you do to those characters is going to register with them. I mean, if people simply don't like or don't care for the characters that you're writing or putting up on screen, you could run them through a, a wood chipper. And people are going to go, I didn't like that guy anyway. So fuck him. (laughs) Um, but if you get them, if you get them to like the characters, if you get them to believe in the characters and, and emote with the characters and feel empathy for the characters, that when you do something horrible and you will, because you're a horror writer, um, they're going to, they're going to feel that. Mm. And that's what you want. That's what I want as an author. I want people to read my stuff and feel something. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why I think that that's so important. I, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but
0: it was a good point. So,
2: but uh, yeah, that's why, uh, that's why uh, for me, again, a lot of horror movies don't work because it's just an excuse to chop people up. And, you know, really, you know, you, you get to meet these characters. that are all kind of trite trope characters and they get their arms cut off or a arrow put through their head or whatever. And you're like, Big deal. I mean, that was gross, and yes, I certainly hope that doesn't happen to me when I leave the theater. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, whatever. Did that you, doesn't do a lot for me.
0: Did you watch The Witch? Because for me, that was just a brilliant, quiet. Heart. I love The Witch. I yeah,
2: thank you. Yeah, because um, I like all that kind of. I like that stuff that. Uh, Again, and this probably is, uh, you hear me say this and you're going to go, yeah, well, okay, I, I get that from reading your stuff. But I like that quiet building horror with that kind of creepy sense of dread that, that increases the, the longer you read or the longer you watch the movie. I like that. That slow burn.
0: Now, there, I know this author is controversial, but I saw Adam Neville originally – recommend him on facebook a while ago he, uh dan simmons and he came out with the terror i own the book i haven't seen it i haven't read it yet i you know not that i i, I
2: uh any ex- opinions expressed in the next five minutes are entirely my own <laughs> um i like dan simmons i read a, a lot of his i prefer his shorter stuff uh the terror i i own i read it i did not like it okay and and i say that to you as a a consumer of horror mm. and a consumer of history. It just oh, did not that book for whatever reason did not work for me. And we watched it uh, a couple years ago when it was up on, uh, was on Netflix? Is that what it was on or who? Uh,
0: I will say AMC. How do you compare it to the book? Or
2: AMC. You know, it was very, very similar to the book in that I didn't like it. <laughs> 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 I just didn't it, like it.
0: it. looked the trailer looks so good.
2: Yeah, I, you know it's a dressed-up monster movie, mm. um, yes. which is fine. I have nothing against that, but there was a lot of. Uh, uh, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of like 19th century British stuff, uh, because to me uh, most of the British novels in that period are uh, stories about terrible, depressing people doing leading terrible, depressing lives and Doing terrible, depressing things to each other, mm. and after a while, you're like, whatever. I, you know,
0: so not me, okay? That's good to know. Well, I mean, we hit some points that yeah. <laughs> uh, we are in a similar agreement on, you know, history and horror. So, I just had to get your opinion on the terror. Uh, it's been my sitting on my favorite sure horror
2: author, you haven't asked, but is Peter Straw,
0: okay? Well, that makes that actually makes yeah. complete sense. I was guess. gonna
2: say, you probably, <laughs> think, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I I uh, I really like uh, Straub's work. Uh, uh, He is instructive to me, not just as a writer, but also as a reader. I I really love reading his stuff, but I also like pouring over his stuff to see. I can't believe he did that. How did he do that? Uh Or why did he do that? Or why did he take this? You know, it's just he's a very interesting writer, uh, very smart writer and a very scary writer. I mean, he's written some stuff. You're like, hey.
0: now uh, I, I want to steal a little bit more of your time before Brendan gets to you, but uh, I did write down something and I didn't know if it'd come up. You just kind of made mm-hmm. this question come up. Um. So recently I've come to the point in my own writing career where I'm really confident in what I do. And a lot of it is the thing. Well, actually I, I say most of it is due to the beta readers uh, yes. that I have. And, I mean, like, I want to know how to make things better. And one of my oldest, the one the guy I trust, one of the most uh, for the longest, God, I can't talk. Words are hard. I need my beta readers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rewind. The, one of the oldest beta readers I have that I trust with everything is Mark Cassell. He's this British author that yeah. um, he's fantastic. And he's a great teacher, too, but... Him and I recently talked about something, and he said, look at your story, break it down each sentence as a pattern with the next sentence. I never thought of it like that, and you kind of just pointed that out without saying those exact words about Peter Straub. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like when – be it reading, be it writing, editing, whatever, do you do that? Does your brain automatically do that now where you break down like the syntax or the – um. If what what's that thing where one word sounds like the next word in a row sounds like the next word alliteration yeah yeah
2: alliteration do you, do you yeah I do you pick up you on know, those too it's funny that you would mention that because that uh I really approach my writing almost like a poet um in mm. that not just the the word choice is really important to me but how the word sounds in a line and how the line sounds in a paragraph. Yeah. And how the paragraphs are split, yeah, it, it really is almost like writing poetry to me. And that, that the uh, I'm pretty easy to edit because I, if you can convince me of, that something is better than the way I've written it, I'm like sure. But there are a lot of times, and you can ask Tony because we would have knockdowns and dragouts about certain things, word choice and the meter of a line is really important to me. And sometimes when you change uh, a punctuation mark or uh, a word, uh, it, it alters the whole flow of the line to me. And then it, so it becomes a bigger problem in my mind than just okay, well maybe that word is a better word, but it doesn't sound right in the line anymore. So that's going to mean I'm going to have to you know tear the whole line up. Or is that word close enough to mm. what I mean? And I can just leave it alone because the 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 way a person reads a story, I think it's, it's really important. And uh, that's why when I do paragraph breaks and punctuation. Yeah, it's it's definitely in an in a effort to be um, correct. Um, but sometimes it's more important to me. For a person to pay attention to the words and the punctuation as more of a guide on how to read the sentence than it is. For me to be correct. Mm. Um, and I know that drives some editors, copy editors, particularly kind of crazy. Um, you know, I've had a lot of uh, you, you really need to put a paragraph here. You really need to put a, a conjunction here before the, the comma. You can't just put the comma here and not the conjunction. Yeah, I can. I can do anything <laughs> I want. Um, it's fiction. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to to know the rules. Mm-hmm. Um. and to know why the rules are there. But I think once you have a good understanding of the rules and what they're for, I think it's, uh, it's almost incumbent upon you in, in some regards as an, as an artist to break them. And uh, yeah, so it was it's You mentioned that I really, really do spend a lot of time thinking about how a line reads and, and the meter of it and, you know, how the words break things up and the punctuation breaks things up and the paragraph breaks, breaks things up. Uh, that's all really, really important to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can tell that just by talking to you, not just tonight, but like in general, our Mm -hmm. past conversations, even when we're not talking about reading, you're just very, uh, at least the impression I get from you is you're very, um, conscious of your word choice. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and that's why, you know, sometimes an editor will take a swing at me and say, well, you know, is that the right word? And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, that's the right word. That's <laughs> exactly what I meant. You know, and that's not to say I'm right all the time. Occasionally it will be like, OK, well, maybe that's not the best word. I, OK, fine. But most of the time it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. A lot of a lot of times I'll use uh, and this is probably uh, because of my too much exposure to Stephen R. Donaldson. Uh, the fantasy author, uh, a lot of archaic words. I like some archaic words because sometimes they're words that people aren't familiar with, but they, if you know the definition of a word, it's it's exactly what I'm looking for. And so if that sends a reader scurrying off to a dictionary,
0: great. Go learn a word. <laughs> Not going to kill you. No, I like that. I like, I like learning new words. I actually want to put that in reviews, but I'm like, that's fucking dumb. To, and and i've i've thought about <laughs> adding that in notes with a podcast mm-hmm. uh, on the pod look i can't even talk i can't speak words um i have water. water water yeah water i've wanted to put that in notes for uh podcast guests where i'm like you know what i want my dictionary app a lot with you i appreciate it but like <laughs> i mean i'm gonna sound like a moron if i say that to every guest <laughs> no you know and i got I,
2: you know of all places i picked that up um from when i was a kid reading comic books mm. um, i was a big marvel reader and uh i remember i remember I, I was probably eight something like that eight or nine and read an interview with uh stan lee and he talked about uh they asked him about uh you know the the uh, grade level for most readers of newspapers about seventh grade seventh grade education but the readers of comic books, usually comic book, uh, are college education hmm. readers. Oh, wow. And uh, he said, so why are, you, why are you writing using words like that when your average age of your reader is about eight years old, you know, ten years old, something like that? And he's like, you know what? If we put a word in a comic book and it sends a kid to a dictionary, my job is done. Hmm. And I, that sort of has stuck with me all this time. And, you know, I think there's, yeah, you know, you don't want to use a two-bit word just to use a two-bit word. But,
0: you know, sometimes
2: old, archaic words are,
0: they're perfect. My dad taught me that lesson when, before, you know, smartphones. Because I, me and Brent were in the last generation where we really grew, we grew up with video games and stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember back when, like, uh, ps2 i had this game called socom a navy seal game where you could connect to the internet you right. had a uh, external component for that it wasn't a good connection <laughs> so um my dad taught me because he's a huge reader which is where i get a voracious uh, hunger for it it's from my father and um he would always say especially with schoolwork like i got a i got a volume of Dictionary books, use them every time you know a word, don't ask me. Right. And I always thought, like, as a kid, I wanted to take a lazy approach. Like, I don't want to do that. But now I got a phone and I can just say, Siri, what does this word I mean? Right, exactly. And it goes back to that original point that we talked about with reading at like the 20-minute mark, I think, about reading something that makes you feel not so smart. Mm. It, 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 that Stan Lee quote or paraphrase, whichever it is, was perfect because you want to you wanna teach whatever you can. And if that's to teach a smart word or a smarter word or whatever, that's great. That's what I we want to do.
2: One of the words that uh, I remember, uh, you know, here I am 57, I remember a word, the word proverbial. I'd never heard it before when I was about eight or nine years old. And I went to look it up and I was like, oh, OK, I know exactly what that means now. That's
1: great. From a comic. So I love with your point about, you know, the early. Uh well comics in general but let's say marvel comics about Mm -hmm. how they you know they would inspire kids to read and to learn and you know especially if you compare you know i won't i won't pretend that i have the uh that that i was around in the 1960s to buy the originals but (laughs) um you, you know you look at the panels and especially if you compare them to more modern stuff like you have a 24 page comic coming out in 1962 and they probably had 10,000 damn words in a 24 oh, yeah. page comic right. I, mean, I just pulled this off the shelf i mean look at look at the amount yeah. of dialogue Holy in that thing. shit um, you were yeah. reading <laughs> this you look, uh, look audio. so, so like, i've got you know, um, a a collection of the uh avengers uh numbers 11 through 20 by stan lee and don heck um and i don't have the date in front of me but uh definitely you know mid 1960s and literally every page um is just chock full of dialogue chock full of description um and if you compare it to something more modern i I mean everything's a splash page yeah um there's you know i i I wouldn't take a guess at word count but i mean it's got to be maybe a quarter of what you read um so, you know, this all of a sudden turned from Stanley getting, you know, kids to read to me uh, bashing modern kids, which does make me sound like I was around in 1962. Um, well, you
2: really, you really, you know, you were really reading something back then. Now it's more looking at pretty pictures.
0: Isn't that reflective of society nowadays? Yeah. The most popular thing is novellas, yeah. right? Right. And they weren't even a big Were they and I don't mean to phrase this like, I'm saying you're old as fuck, but were they even a thing when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, but they were
2: not. <laughs> mostly in like, uh, I'm, I'm going to let that one slide. Uh, <laughs> Love you. Uh, you know, mostly in like science fiction. You know, you, you saw that a lot of a lot of novellas in science fiction because uh, uh, people like uh, Silverberg or somebody like that would, would serialize a novella in a magazine you know, they publish, they split it up into three chunks and publish it like that. But it was basically just one novella that they, that they were putting out. And I think, uh, novellas have really taken off now because, uh, uh you know, the only reason that I can really see that they weren't popular before is because print, you know, right. with print and, and people being charged, uh, for compositing a page and printing a page and buying the paper, you know, they weren't going to just, you know, put out a 200 page magazine, mm-hmm. but now the things are, have moved mostly to digital, A lot of digital. Uh, the novella has, has sort of elbowed its way back in because really for horror, the novella is kind of the sweet spot. Uh, it's hard to keep, uh, it's hard to keep that, that sense of, uh, dread and terror going, uh, in a novel. It's not impossible, but it's harder. Uh, and with a short story, you're just really dealing with such brevity that a lot of the stuff that you communicate has, uh, you know, due to necessity, has to be shorter. But a novella gives you a writer, you know, that little bit more elbow room to really spread their wings and and tell a more detailed story than they would in a short story. But not so long that you've got to worry about keeping that, that uh, you know, the terror or the dread going as you would with a novel. So... I find the novella to be really one of my preferred uh, formats.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of novellas, I don't know if you saw, but Brennan
1: just got a book deal with
0: Silver
2: Shamrock. That. Congratulations, that's great. Thank you. But they're sir. putting out stuff left and right. That's fantastic.
1: Well, if I'm if I'm gonna speak on exactly what you were just saying, you know, mm-hmm. I the the original idea i kind of had for this i figured would be would end up being probably around 300 pages um Mm -hmm. just you know not knowing (laughs) what the hell i was doing of course but um (laughs) just kind of coming up uh with with bullet points and saying this is going to eat up a lot of space but frankly what i ended up doing with it was saying you know what this is boring and i'm not sure it advances the story let's fucking throw it on the floor um and you know, I felt like in order to keep a consistent sense of, of pacing, move mm-hmm. the story forward and make everything interesting um, it, it ended up being God, I don't know I have no idea what the page count is, but it's uh, it's about 35,000 words um, great, and 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 it did what I wanted it to do. It ended up being significantly shorter than I expected, but it did exactly what I wanted it to do in that in that form mm-hmm.
0: And uh, the funny thing is, is I'm super. Uh, I'll just say I'm jealous of this of Brennan. Is this was the first thing he ever wrote, and the first like novel I ever wrote. I don't. It's a trunk story, man. I don't. <laughs> you and me both, brother. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the first. Four novels. I wrote a truck stories, and he's like, "No, nah, I got
1: published." <laughs> well, I mean, you know, before you completely go down that road of shitting all over yourself, <laughs> let's not, you know, your your version, you know, what what you do is you bang out a first draft and you put it aside to come back to later, and then later Wait. turns into seven years. Um, and that's, <laughs> you know, I've tried that, and I just I can't do it. I've got to polish the turd until somebody wants to look at it.
0: Ocean awesome turds.
2: Well, mm-hmm. uh, that's great. It, it, that's not out yet,
1: is it? No, it'll be out next July. Okay. What's it called? It is called Slattery Falls. Okay, great. And if I had to uh, elevator pitch it, it is a, I suppose I would say it's a haunted house novel, but that, um, you know, I don't know if I'd say oversimplification, but it's, right. let's, say, let's just say it's a haunted house novel. Good enough. I will look forward to it. Well, i appreciate that um so john we've we've gone down the road of kind of um i I would say almost philosophy really kind of delving into subjects and why they work why they don't things like that let's talk about some specifics and especially Mm -hmm. since we're talking about some uh, novellas you've got a collection coming up of cosmic novellas can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah i uh I found, uh, you know, after years and years of kind of poo-pooing Lovecraft, who really is not one of my favorite writers at all, um, that uh, more and more of that sort of cosmic edge was creeping into the stuff that I was writing. And believe me, it wasn't because, uh, again, uh, of any love for Lovecraft or Lovecraft's writing. um, uh, But I thought, you know, I've, I've written uh, probably at the time I'd written, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen of them that all had kind of that cosmic or edge to it, edge to them uh, that I thought, you know, people were asking, well, you know, why don't you think about doing, you know, either more of this or, or collecting some of this stuff together? And I thought, you know, maybe I could do that. So I, I sat down and kind of mapped out uh, four stories, four novellas. Um, uh, stuck a title to it and then just kind of rang it up the the flagpole to see if (laughs) people were interested and got some interested. So, uh, looks like you know, and I don't want to, you know, blow this uh, until uh, Robert actually has a chance to look at everything. But looks like I might be working with Nightscape Press with Robert Wilson.
0: Oh, that's Um, awesome! Excellent. I've
2: gotten two of the stories done. They've all been through. Data is and they're finished. I'm working on the third, and I know exactly. I saved the fourth one to last because I kind of know that one backwards and forwards. So hopefully, I'm going to have that done in the next couple months here. Uh, and then once uh, Bob has a chance to to look at it and see how he could fit that in, I uh, hopefully we'll be pursuing that. I would like to work with Bob. I haven't really. Bob uh, had edited some of my stuff a long time ago during the uh, horror library period where he was working with, with that. And, uh, but I, I haven't, it's been a while since I've worked with Bob. So I'm looking forward to that if that comes through. Um, but it's fun. I think the, uh, uh, the stories that I'm putting together have sort of a historical edge to them. Um, and it will be the re, the reaction I've gotten from the beta readers has been great. So I'm looking forward to putting that out into the, uh, the marketplace. Uh, you know, if that's going to be like next year or the following. I'm not, not quite sure, uh, yet. Um, what I'm really kind of hip deep in right now is dark stars.
0: Um, I was going to ask you about that at next.
2: Yeah. The, um, uh, for people that don't know, uh, there was a, a, kind of a seminal, uh, horror anthology in the 1980s called dark forces. And I think I have my little, my little reading copy right here. Um, had, you know, a lot of the big, uh, horror writers from, from that period, uh, Stephen King and Joyce Carol Oates and Ramsey Campbell, people like that. Um, and it was kind of a big deal back then it was it, it certainly charted the way for uh i think horror during the 80s uh in a literary format at any rate um but when i you know we were uh, kind of sitting around sitting around with josh Mailer and kind of brainstorming stuff that we could do and uh i thought you know no one's really done a follow-up to that it's been practically 40 years but no one's really had done anything like that they there really hasn't been anything like that in horror where you've gotten this just, you know, the a team of horror writers together and had them write mm-hmm. Whatever they want. It's no theme. It's just whatever you want. Just make it a horror story. So we talked about it a lot and, uh, I ended up, uh, pitching it to tour and they bought it. Um, so yeah, it's going to be great. We've got, uh, In addition to Josh, who's also going to be writing the uh, introduction, uh, I got Ramsey Campbell back. So he's kind of our tissue between dark forces and dark stars. Hmm. Got Ramsey back with a new piece of fiction, original piece of fiction, which is pretty cool. Um, But we've also got people like uh, Livia Llewellyn and Gemma Files and Priya Sharma and Chesia Burke, John Langan, Stephen Graham Jones I'm um, leaving people out. I know. I, I see a
0: list, man. Uh, Usman, Usman Malik. Priya Sharma is one Pria of them. Priya Sharma. Alma Katsu. Alma Katsu, yes. Um, uh, Usman T. Malik. Carolyn yes. Kepnis.
2: Carolyn Kepnis. I, I just uh, read her story uh, this week. She, of course, is the author of Like You um,
0: and Providence.
2: If, if you watch, uh, yeah, Providence on Netflix, uh, just read a, a uber creepy story from her this week. Uh, That's going to be in it. So, yeah, it's it's all original fiction. Mm. So everybody has written something new that hasn't appeared anywhere and it's no theme. So uh, because what I wanted to do was try to put together something that would show people the the Dark Forces book in the 80s was originally put together to show people the literary side of of horror, that horror could be something more than just a down in the gutter, you know, horrible genre that, you know, these people like. Isaac Bashevis Singer and Joyce Carol Oates could write horror stories. Um, but my intention with this one was to show the the sort of not not the depth of it, but the breadth of horror these days. That it's so many different flavors, and and you you know you've got some that is sort of maybe dark fantasy slanted. You've got some that is uh, monster story slanted. You've got some that is yeah, the quiet literary stuff, but you know this whole range of horror that exists out there today. So, uh, shit.
0: Shit.
2: I've uh, I heard you say that.
0: Yeah, I hit my mic. I said, <laughs> oh shit! I thought I was muted
1: in, into the microphone. By the <laughs> way, my
2: bad. <laughs> into the working microphone. Uh, but yeah, I I've gotten uh, six of the stories in so far. And they're they're so wildly different. They're so wildly terrific all in their own that i'm I'm really looking forward to it um so that'll be out next november a year from now
1: that's That's that table of contents how could they how could they not be almost i remember you kind of um not announcing that but basically announcing the announcement saying this is what i'm working on now is like avengers level table of contents and you know i i see that and i say okay you know that's that, that's hyperbole. Uh, Mr. Taff is just tooting his own horn. Uh, but then, you know, you you made that announcement, and, you know, I just envision you on the battlefield catching Thor's hammer and whispering a symbol. And I said, okay, he pulled it off very well. Yeah, very I, awesome. was,
2: I was really happy. In fact, you know, I hadn't even had the nuts to go after Ramsey Campbell. I was asking Ramsey basically to write an afterword for the book because I didn't think, I was just thinking. He's not going to write a new piece of fiction for me. I mean, you know, I just didn't – I didn't see that happening. But he not only agreed I, – I, I literally had almost not taken my fingers off the keyboard when I sent him the note where he had agreed to write the afterward. But he was like, how would you feel about a new story? And I'm like, from Ramsey Campbell? Well, uh. yes. I mean <laughs> – do people actually turn you down, Ramsey? I was
0: gonna say, gee, thanks. Um, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so
2: it has worked out really man. well, you know. And uh you yeah. know, I've uh since I'm the editor, I'm slipping one of my own stories in there, so nice. kind of an underhanded way of doing it, but
0: oh well, <laughs> it happens. And I'm, I'm like as close to hundred percent confident as I can be. Ramsey did say because we he was mentioning an episode, I think it was with Hunter Shea. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we tagged him in it, and I don't think he'd reply. Uh, He's like, oh, I can't see this link in my country. He said something like that. So I was like, here's the uh, Apple iTunes or iPod or whatever the fuck it's called now. Uh, (laughs) I said, here, does that work? He goes, that's great, thanks. But he said it in a nice, polite British way. He's a great guy. He's a very nice guy. seems like a nice guy. One of the first people I met at
2: a shit." that uh hwa thing i went in new orleans like seven or eight years ago he's one of the first people i met and just a really charming just how you would hope he would be
0: yeah yeah it's very hopeful for a younger writer um to say "Hmm, i actually might be able to do this uh on a professional level one day yeah because there's a lot of nice people that have made it um well and
2: you know i uh, you know when i uh you know, I'm not as well known as some people, but uh, it was certainly nice when I started to send out uh, invitations to Dark Stars because it was all people that I sort of hand selected to be in it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, almost to a person, everybody said, yeah, of course. I mean, I would love to do that. And, you know, when they started to hear when I could say, well, you know, I've already got Mailerman and Stephen Graham Jones and Priya Sharma and Caroline Kepney's. And they were like, okay, yes, of course. (laughs) Um, So, and that's what I, you know, you know, maybe a little crankily, uh, I hope that when it comes out and people see it and they see the effect I think it's going to have on the horror industry. And I think it will. I think they're, uh, you know, I'm hoping that there are some other uh big name horror writers maybe who I didn't even approach you might say, well, you know, Jesus Christ, if he does that again, I want to be in that.
0: As a reader and a fan of the genre, I'm like, all right, well, damn it, John, now I gotta buy two big books for that. <laughs> <year." laughs>
2: That's gonna be good. And you know, Tor does a good job. Um uh you know I had always kind of thought before this that you know you hook up with a the big publisher and they don't involve you with Things like what the cover going to look like or, you know, that kind of crap. But TOR has been very, you know, they've been very inclusive in in what they're doing and involving me. And, you know, even if it's just, you know, to some extent, just, well, you know, tell him so he shuts up or, yeah. <laughs> or you know, so he thinks he's involved in the process. But even that, that's fine. I'm
0: really I feel, glad
2: I feel that, like I'm involved, which is great.
0: That is that is great. I'm really glad that TOR came out with a hor- specifically a horror um, yeah. imprint. Yeah that's yeah, amazing and
2: it, and it was about time i think for yeah. a horror you know a big time publisher to get back into the horror field uh because i really do and you know i've talked about this kind of ad nauseum uh that we are really in a golden age of of horror mostly shouldered by the indie, indie press i mean you look at you know yes there are the josh Malerman's and the Alma macattus and the stephen graham Joneses, but the paul tremblay's and whatnot but you know the the bulk of what's going on in the horror field right now is really being shouldered by the indie press
0: yeah man um, I, I i go to i go to my local bam that's the only store that really sells well that that target and walmart but those mm-hmm. you don't call those bookstores <laughs> um, so nah. i go there's a horror section they finally named it horror but i just see fucking king and i love king um yeah. but I see a Josh Mallerman, which is Mallory, and I see a few others. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's nice, but I want to see some more people that I'm like, hey, I know them. I know them.
2: Well, and there's so much good stuff. It really is an embarrassment of riches these days with the quantity and uh, of good horror writers out there. Um, it, it really is. It's just so many of them, and I'm not going to try to— you know, fucking rattle their names off because of you know. Why didn't you mention me? But there's a lot. There are a lot of them. Um, I you know, people like you, reviewers like you guys, that have to, you know, plow through all this stuff. I don't feel bad for you guys <laughs> for having to plow through uh, stuff that is mostly shit. Because I think the problem is probably the opposite these days. Yes, yeah, it is. It's mostly it really good is. stuff. And how do you? How do you possibly have enough time in the in the day in your life to read all this stuff? I I I don't get it.
0: I just um I, I got to the point where my TBR you can't see the TBR pile but <laughs> I um literally have one two three four five I got five books because I'm like fuck this the rest are going on, on my bookshelf um right now I'll just I'll hold up I got Midnight in the Pentagram. A Christopher uh-huh. Pike book for that podcast based off of Christopher Pike that I'm uh gonna be a guest on next year. And don't know if I should say that but oh, wait, we did say that when we were talking to them. All right, yeah. <laughs> and then the other one that is newer is um Blacktop Wasteland and that that seems like it's gonna be my favorite for this year. I
2: haven't read that one yet, but I,
0: I'm looking forward to reading it. Well, when Lee Child blurbs it and Joe Hill and fucking yeah, uh, Chris exactly. gold and all of them <laughs> phrase it, I think it's gonna be good.
1: Um, Brennan, you want to segue us into something else? Actually, real quick before we move on from the anthology. So a question for uh, John Taft, the writer versus John oh. Taft, the editor. Mm-hmm. When you're putting a story of yours into this, you know big deal anthology um with a with a big publisher, how do you go about deciding what you're going to write? Yeah.
2: Uh, well, I pissed my pants thoroughly. <laughs> uh, yeah. When it became, when it, when this became real and I realized sort of the, the, the extent of what I was putting myself up for. And, uh, you know, and I, I'd sold the thing with a story from me in it. So there, was a, there wasn't one, a whole lot of way I could back out. Um, and then you start to think, well, Christ, you're going to have your uh, you're going to have a story in a book with uh, these people who are phenomenal writers. And, you know, uh, like uh, a lot of people, like probably most people, you know, you start to that that imposter syndrome starts to make itself. Well, known. Um yeah. and and I, to be honest with you, I. Uh, it took me a long time to write the story for dark stars because I, you know, I would have an idea, I would throw it out. If another idea throw it out, have another idea start it, then throw it out. Um, you know, it, it was purely just me doing it to myself, just, uh, wigging out. But I, uh, finished my story, uh, last week. It's called, uh, Swim in the Blood of a Curious Dream, um, which is a a steal from a Guster lyric. I'm a big fan of the rock band Guster. Um, Finished it and uh, I've sent it out to about five uh, beta readers so far and have gotten some notes back and made those changes. And then I asked Josh to read it uh, simply because. You know, it's like, I'm sitting out here alone. I got to have somebody, you know, somebody to read this story and just make sure <laughs> I mean, give it a blessing. So Josh read it uh, a couple of nights ago and uh, gave it his blessing. So I feel I feel pretty good about it.
0: That's a good blessing to get, man.
2: But I mean, you know, it, it, it really was. It really, you know, should I do this? Should I? But then I thought, you know. Being selfish it was my idea. I'm the one who wanted to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck. It's going to have a story from mine in it. And if I end up embarrassing myself, oh well. Dude, <laughs> you got
0: one life. I mean, Leslie. Right.
2: But I, you know, I'm pretty, uh, I, you know, like I said, I've read, got six of the stories in and I've read them all. And I think they're all great. And so yeah. I, I feel pretty good about the whole thing.
1: Nice. That's awesome. And I'm glad to hear you thoroughly pissed your pants and you didn't have pass it. <laughs>
2: Uh, no, it's <laughs> if you're going to piss, you might as well just let her rip.
1: Um, you already there's ruined nothing that. Wrong pair. With it,
2: you know, I think people think that, uh, you know, you should you go into a project like this and you should feel, you know, supreme self-confidence and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I felt I've always kind of seen that uh, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes people with the most self-confidence generally have the least amount of talent. Um, and it's the people who question themselves and who doubt and, and, you know, put themselves through all that kind of crap, uh, you know, and not, I'm not saying this is some sort of proof that I have, you know, reams of talent available that I've, you know, questioned my own self worth. But, you know, I think that that's a normal thing that you go through, uh, I find
0: it disturbing that. I was the only one to laugh at that, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think,
2: you know, I think. I've gone into almost every uh, anthology that I've been in with, you know, oh, my God, I hope the story doesn't embarrass me. <laughs> you know, there's going to be X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z, and their stories are going to be great. And people are going to read my story. and They're going to go, "Ugh, oh, what a what a Schmendrick! He can't write at all. But uh,
0: Siri, what does Schmendrick mean? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a real yeah. word? Yes, it is. You it know, is. I've
1: seen so many authors who, you know, I love their work. I are you looking it up? Of course, <laughs> he is. I've seen it's so very, many authors who I love their work and I respect. Crazy. At least mute your goddamn mic. All
0: right, she's not. She's looking up M- Manrick, so I'm done. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I thought that you. Would I was say gonna say it I have
1: seen us. so many authors who, you know, I I I love their work. I love the way they write. They're just, you know, to in my mind, they are just phenomenal at what they do. A- and they, you know, have that same imposter syndrome, yeah. you know, makes me feel OK that I can't even fathom having that supreme confidence you spoke of. I don't I don't
2: think it ever goes away. And I think if it does go away, you probably need to be questioning yourself about why right? it did. Um, yeah. The other thing about it that that, you know, kind of drove me was I think if things don't scare you on some level not scare you from a horror perspective, but, I mean, just intimidate you, um, then you're probably not pressing yourself uh, hmm. enough. I think when things uh, seem like they're out of hand or seem like, you know, you've gotten yourself in to too much, I think that's when uh, that's when you're, you're you know you're really pressing yourself in the right direction.
0: So a little while ago, this isn't new news, but you did mention something. <laughs> I don't know if there's been follow-ups, but uh, you've mentioned that you and D. Alexander Ward are going to be working on a bunch of yeah. projects together. Yeah. You want to tell us what you can tell us about that?
2: Well, he's already made the uh, the bigger announcement, so I think I can talk about it. Um, okay. I'd had an idea for a book uh, for a while, uh, that would take Bible stories and kind of turn them on their ear into horror stories. And I, I, you know, I uh, floated this past a couple of authors, some of whom were like, "E." Nee, and some of whom were like, "Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and I thought at the time uh, that I really probably needed to steer it uh, to make it work. I needed to steer it away from something that would be too, you know, over the top, blasphemous, heretical or whatever. But when I talked to Doug Morano, who uh, most of your readers will probably know, your listeners will probably know, um, he was like, no, 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 don't don't back off that. Lean into it. I'm like, <laughs> OK. He's like, yeah, if, if you're going to do a book like that, lean into it, make it make it the most blasphemous, heretical thing that you could possibly, you know, and, and sell that to the authors when you're when you're trying to get them on board. So, um I put together kind of a half of a, a list of authors who I invited and who said yes, and then kind of stalled out because there really wasn't a lot of publishers who wanted to take a, a chance on a book like that. Right. Uh, but then David, uh, who has worked with, uh, he's worked on his own and has also worked with Doug on store on collections like mm-hmm. Gutted and, and Shadows Over Main Street, um, and I've, I know them both. Uh, David was like, "Yeah, tell me about this book you're, you're thinking about." It. He's like, "Yeah, I want to do that." So we we kind of <laughs> put it all together and invited uh, a slate of uh, authors, really great authors. I mean, people like uh, Phil Rickassi and uh, Todd Keesling and all sorts of people. Uh, v is in it. Violet Castro. Just
0: listing off guests that yeah. we've had on the show. I mean, it's it's it's, <laughs> a, it's another.
2: Just cavalcade of really strong uh, authors and uh, uh, we're looking to get the stories done, uh, you know, by the end of the year, January, and then probably put the thing out uh, late in the spring or early the summer of next year. It's called The Bad Book. You know sort what? Of like the good book. The Bible is the good book. This is mm-hmm. called The Bad Book.
0: I'm just going to say this on the air, whatever, take it or leave it, but have uh, have us in your mind when you're thinking of uh, podcasts, because that sounds like something Brennan right. and I would love. We can definitely do that. I think once the
2: stories – I've only seen two of the stories so far. Uh, Christy DeMeester uh, forwarded her story to me, uh, and uh, Phil, Phil has, has and both of those stories were fantastic, exactly the kind of stuff that I was looking for. So I think that's going to be a really, really strong – book that hopefully is yeah is gonna each story you read is gonna go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and Holy when crap. you
1: when you when you lay down the premise and I, I don't know if he'll like this or not but when you lay down the premise todd Keesling is the first author that springs to mind for <laughs> he would be perfect for this yeah <laughs> yes well if you've read devil's creek you yeah. kind of know oh so. hell yeah that's
2: um, yeah, t- yeah, I, it's, I don't have, again, I don't have them all in front of me right now and I don't want to rattle them off cause I'll forget somebody, but it's a, it's a really strong roster of writers. So, um, you know, the nice thing, and I've, I've said this in interviews, uh, before that the sort of the, uh, the cherry on the cake for me of doing this for 30 years is I work with people I want to work with. Mm. You know, I'm at and this is not uh, to brag, but I've gotten a reputation where I can pretty much contact a publisher and just say I've got this idea for a book and I've got these six or seven authors who want to go on the ride with me. And what do you think? And I you you, up into this, you know, up into this point, knock on wood, I've had really good luck in placing all this stuff. So um. And, and, and so that kind of keeps things new for me. In addition to the writing, hmm. uh, it's nice to put together these projects and invite people and read, uh, you know, first rate fiction uh, from a project that, you know, I've kind of been the impetus for. So it's cool. And I love working with David. David's a great guy. I love working with Doug. Uh, one of the books that, that they made an uh, announcement for also, in addition to the bad book was shadows over main street three. Um, I was in the second one, uh, and, and hope to be in the third one. We'll see what I'm able to come up with. But, uh, yeah, they, they do, they work well together. They, they both have, you know, like people, other people that I work with, like Tony and stuff, they've got a great eye for stories, they've got a great eye for design, they've got a great eye for marketing and blah 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 so
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you got two uh, (laughs) two Avengers teams set up for (laughs) next year
2: Well, I think they're going to be good books I think they're both going to be strong books in completely different ways, but but Uh, both, uh, I think readers will enjoy them.
0: Philip is just one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to, man. He's I don't think he led on to that. Most people wouldn't. Um, yeah, he's just a joy to talk to, and the only story I've read by him so far came out through Unnervin's uh, press. And oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you read it, but it was the one where the face. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. He's the a good writer. I really, you know,
2: again, it's nice to be able to to read stuff from people like him, and then just say, you know, send him an email. Hey, I got a project I'm thinking about, and I really like your stuff. Would you like to? You know, would you like to do a story for it?
1: That's really cool. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, the whole theme behind the uh, the bad book, um, I'm surprised that it's never been done before. I mean, if, if you've read the good book it's just primed for it. There's some seriously horrifying stuff in there and, you know, to to turn it on its head. Things
2: that happen in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and, and it's been interesting to see the kind of stuff that, that the authors are, are coming up with, uh, and using as the basis for their story. It's, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I think people are going to really like, it. I'm really looking, I've talked with almost all of the, uh, authors now about their stories. So, there's a couple of them I'm really looking forward to seeing. So,
0: you know what you talked earlier about how, um, pretty much keeping an eye out on newer writers Mm -hmm. now, you know what? Fuck the whole thing of like, I don't want to forget this person. I get that. (laughs) But can you mention maybe a couple of newer writers that you personally find to be, uh, worthy of a bigger spotlight? Absolutely.
2: Um, I'll give you a couple of different, uh, completely wildly different, uh, ends of the spectrum. Sure. Um, one is J Daniel stone. Um, he, uh, he just had a a new book out, uh, stations of shadow, I think is what it's called. Um, and, uh, Dan is a, uh, really fantastic, very poetic writer in a dark kind of, uh, uh, kind of Clyde Barker ish kind of way. Uh, but Dan really makes it work for himself. Uh, the, the, the book, usually his stories, you know, centered around the kind of the, uh, the art life in, in New York, um, these kind of uh, disaffected, uh, art, very artistic youth. Uh, but The, the Stations of, of Shadow is a really fantastic book. Uh, very lush, very poetic, very violent. Um, and I think if you, if you've read, I don't, I don't like to continue to compare him to Clyde Barker, but that sort of, sort of sensual poetic kind of violence is, uh, Dan does that really, really well. Hmm. Um, he's got a short story collection. He's got, uh, two, I believe two other novels that are out. Um, so he's really, really good. Um, the other one, uh, that has really caught my eye lately is Laurel Hamilton. Laurel uh
0: oh, I've forgotten her name
1: now H- Hightower oh, no. Hightower
0: yes okay Hightower Wells edit that out <laughs> or is it Wells Hightower
1: Wait, not a chance it, sorry you have to live with it
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Laurel Hightower
2: this is gin that's why I couldn't remember so
1: <laughs> that makes sense so can I assume that means you've gotten to uh Crossroads Crossroads
2: yes it's a fantastic oh book
1: that and hard, you know hard again hard, right hard, up though.
2: my alley because it's so steeped in emotions and uh it's it's a phenomenal book and i think that if she uh continues down the path that i think she's going on she's going to be a fantastic mean, she is a fantastic writer but she's going to be a phenomenal writer
0: yeah yeah that's pretty much universally agreed upon with yeah. anyone that knows her stuff now and uh
1: and i would i'm sorry pat i'm gonna step on your toes because i know exact. you know when, when we go to this in a minute you're going to talk about how you're reading this book but um her she she has a book coming out with uh, Gemma Amor and Sina Paleo that yeah, she kind right. of curated and edited, uh, and she's got a story that appeared on um, Inkheist's website as well as, I, I guess I would call it a story, but it almost reads more like a prose essay, um, and it, 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 all it does is serve to reinforce what a what a talent she is. You know, we've yeah, we've had her on I here agree. twice and you know, I can't say an unkind word about her. She's a good human being. She's a phenomenal writer. And yeah, she's if she doesn't blow up, it's a travesty.
2: Well, she will. I think she already is. And I think that, you know, people are are seeing uh, the kind of writer she is with crosswords. So I think that that's been phenomenal. Um, You know, aside from those two, there's so many. I mean, uh, Todd is, is one phenomenal writer. Chuck Easley, Brian Kirk, uh, John Foster, Alan Baxter. Um, yeah, I could just go on and on and on, and uh, just so many of them, and they're so damn good.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah. And Brennan forgot to mention that Laurel also kindly, uh, before a single episode went out, recorded the outro for every episode. Uh, oh, well, I mean, it's the same record, right, but. Right.
1: <laughs> worded that really terribly. <laughs> she recorded 150 different outros. We have to get her back after we hit that episode number. <laughs>
0: yeah, we're like, Laurel, sorry, you're not getting paid for a single one. Now she's great. And, you know,
2: somebody that can put up with uh, shane and rich <laughs> uh that's saying a lot
1: i, 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 will, I, I don't I, know if either one of you actually pat i bet you did but john i don't know if you got to hear um shane and rich did a solo episode when um when crossroads came out where they just mm. kind of talked about it and built it up in a very genuine and sincere way and the you know brotherly love the 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 love that they show and and feel for her the genuine right. appreciation of her talent uh, that was a beautiful episode you know yeah. they they really are a cool team because they appreciate each other they respect each other and joke you know they, they'll joke with each other but you can tell there's a very genuine love there yeah definitely
2: and i trust i've known uh shane and rich long enough to know that they're not into blowing up sunshine up anybody's skirt. If they hadn't liked Laurel, well if they hadn't liked Laurel, she wouldn't be on the show as it was. <laughs> you know if they didn't think enough about that book to do that, they wouldn't have done it. Um, so I, I trust their uh, I trust their sensibility.
1: Especially because they almost kind of created a sub show called unfuck that with Shake shaky, and then never did another episode. Right. (laughs) Apparently nothing else. I I
2: got to meet them both separately. They were, uh, one of the early earliest people that got behind my work, you know, six, seven years ago. And, uh, and then when they got together, I was like, perfect. That's perfect. You know, but the, that thing about, you know, uh, nice people find each other, um,
0: I think that that's, that's true. I mean, Indeed. I wish it was true for me. I'm like, pregnant <laughs> <frightening> for now. You're <laughs> <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, let's go with you first, John. What are you currently reading?
2: What am I currently reading? I am about done with uh, John Langan's book, uh, Children of the Fang.
0: Oh, How's that?
2: Uh, that's phenomenal. I love Uh, Langen love Hmm. Langen Um, I was thrilled he's in actually both (laughs) dark stars and the bad book oh nice (laughs) he agreed to be in both of them Um, see I love his stuff and the book is is fantastic Uh, I was a big fan of uh, all his other collections and I was a big fan of the Fisherman. so uh, uh, I really 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 liked that I'm kind of uh, slogging my way through the end of if it bleeds. Um, I love King, but haven't really, didn't really.
1: I hear that. Yeah.
2: Didn't really like this, this particular collection. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I'll finish it. Uh, and there was one I just put away and I can't remember what it was. Um, that's about it. That's about all I can remember. Oh, okay. I am fifty-seven,
1: so. <laughs> so, Brennan, what are you reading, young man? Um, really quickly before I, I'm older than you, by the way. Um, <laughs> before I go on, I, I have not read Children of the Fang, but I, I love the way that Langan releases collections where he, you know, collects things that he's sold to magazines or yeah. anthologies or whatever it is. Any, any, but he um also writes an original novella or novelette and. It just has a very, like, old-school quality to yeah. it, kind of a classic quality to it. Um, and then with If It Bleeds, I'll, I'll definitely agree with you there. I was very excited that he was doing another collection right. of novellas, right. you know, in the, you know, four-past-midnight, different seasons vein, right. and it it just it didn't live up to that, you know? Not yeah. to bash all newer, you know, post 2000 King. There's some really good stuff in there, but, um, yeah, it was... Now, now that we're only getting one King book a year, come on, you got to make it count. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Sorry, I am, man. I am currently. Don't rush me, please. Sorry. Um, <laughs>
0: All right, that was a good answer, Patrick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am reading um, *Girl on Fire* by Gemma Amor, and I'm going to show the cover because it's a yeah. fucking dynamite cover. Like, look at that thing. Um, did gemma draw that because that looks like something. no she didn't do it do this one she did the um illustration for dear laura and i know she does the interiors for some of the other ones this one is by a guy named chris Paneteer. um but it's you know it's it's a killer story so far and it's actually very in line with uh we are wolves which i've now talked about twice so unfortunately patrick you can't talk about it all uh oh um, The other one I'm, I'm reading is, uh, or about to start. I haven't actually jumped into it yet is Santa Muerte by, uh, Mm -hmm. Paleo. Um, which I'm really excited. I know she just re-released it. Um, this is the original, but you know, it's freaking awesome looking (laughs) and I, I love her. She's a good person. And from what I've read with her shorts, she's a phenomenal writer too.
2: Yeah. I'd agree with that.
1: Um, so for me, I
0: think I am finishing it tonight. We are wolves. And, uh, I actually wanted to tell John in case you didn't know, and I'm not – I'd like to think that people believe this, but, you know, people think whatever they think. With me, I'm not going to hype someone up even if they're a friend unless I really believe it. Yeah. Uh, The only author I've said this about so far, uh, Cassie Daly, her stories that I've read so far Mm -hmm. are in the same vein as Laurel. Like it's very heavily – Driven by emotion, but she does it really well. Right, and, and I, me and Brennan I've actually both beta read two of her short stories, and is, she's good, man. So I would I would right. pay attention to that. But if you okay. do read We Are Wolves, it's uh <laughs> the forward just makes me want to get into battle <laughs> with with the wolf pack and just start killing people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a lot of powerful powerful stories written by, uh, as Gabino put it, the, uh, what did he say? The contemporary, uh, the best contemporary voices by female writers, something like that. He, he said it way, way more <laughs> intelligently than I did, but intensely great,
1: and intelligently. I yeah, don't remember what he said either, to be fair, but I
0: think he was yelling <laughs> with his shirt off.
1: <laughs> he did remove his shirt. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Why uh, wouldn't he? Yeah, and then I'm. Um, uh, um, um, His arms look like legs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he is a. Uh, I would not want to get punched by him. Oh God, no. My head would probably be removed from it, the uh, neck. Um, and I'm also reading Ghoul. Uh, me and Brennan are uh, both reading that for. Uh, for later on, we'll be talking about that. But yeah, so that's all I got. Um, Brennan, is there anything else that you want to follow up with? no uh,
1: john i i just want to thank you for your time tonight you know we've eaten up almost two hours of your night uh and we appreciate the time we appreciate listening to your smooth silky voice <laughs>
2: <laughs> but a face for radio <laughs> i didn't
1: say that during recording so i don't know who said that well, now you owned up to it. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do appreciate no, it, but uh, I appreciate
2: people... it too. I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's like I said, it's very important. So,
0: oh, thank you. Um, Yeah. So like we told you, uh, for those that are unaware that have not heard me say this before, we will be having a YouTube page uh, next year for season two. But all that information with a bunch of other fun things will be announced maybe in the season finale of season one which will be in december who will be the guest and the guest host we'll find out uh we where don't can...
1: even know no i
0: know it's <laughs> <just> not gonna... <laughs> if people follow you uh, where can people
2: follow me uh well i just shit canned my instagram account oh okay uh, so not there so basically just twitter uh okay. i have a website but i'm not really doing that much with it these days I've got to have five minutes to, to convert it to a landing page so I can capture email addresses and just do a newsletter. Hmm. But I haven't done that yet. Um, so Twitter really is the best way to follow me, to engage with me. I love talking to readers. I'm very approachable. Um, I, I look at Twitter probably more often than I should. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just simple. It's just John Tav at John FDTaff. Um, so that's really the best way to do it, uh, to see what I've got out there. It's best just to go to, uh, you know, Amazon and look up my author page on Amazon. That'll give you the whole, the whole nine yards of what I've got.
0: Cool. Um, and to echo what Brennan said, we do appreciate your time. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for a while, so it's, Thank it's hands. awesome. I yeah, appreciate it, was,
2: it. I do appreciate it.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, I hope you have a good night listeners. I hope you enjoyed this because this was really interesting. The uh, branches that we <laughs> we traveled down, I didn't see <laughs> coming, but I love it.
1: Brennan well, yeah, always...
2: let's let's do this again next year when you know yeah. the bad book is coming out and I've got a bigger, a better grasp on dark stars and and
1: whatnot. Nope. So uh, no yeah. question, you're always welcome back. Yeah, well, absolutely. Thank you, thank you Unfortunately, guys. Unfortunately, if you agree to come on with us, you cannot go on Inkeist. We will make you sign something. Eh, okay.
2: <laughs> i've talked to them enough
0: yeah <laughs> i just they want to see where that was. Was the same way <laughs> i want to see where that was going uh brennan as always <laughs> thank you for uh joining me man i uh, appreciate it okay. okay no no follow up <laughs> <laughs> cool later alligator we are in your mind we are all
2: around you are now